welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click. Today we're going to be talking about one of the hottest topics in e-commerce, something that uh, every, every brand wants to be focusing on, but not many know how to go about it. Today's guest is Ethan Song, founder of Rare Circles, and we're going to be having a chat about how brands can use community marketing for growth uh, and why brands need to focus on this more organic side of marketing for growth and not simply rely on paid ads. Let's get Ethan on now. Hi, Ethan. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just uh, give us a bit of your background, um, a bit of an, you know, an introduction to yourself and how you've got to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been in the consumer and tech um, sort of, you know, startup entrepreneurial space for almost 15 years now. I only held one job for about two years uh, after college, but the pool uh, to be an entrepreneur was too great. And I, I would say, you know, my, my dad was also an entrepreneur, so I've de- definitely been around. He was in the gaming space. Uh, I've definitely been around entrepreneurship all my life. And so, you know, building my own business was always uh, both a dream and something I wanted to do. And, you know, so, so far I've built three companies. Uh, right now I'm running a company in the customer engagement space called Rare Circles. Uh, but prior to that, I was also running a D2C brand uh, in the sustainable apparel space, which I started in 2012 uh, with a high school friend of mine. Uh, you know, that business was a business called Frank and Oak uh, that got to a fairly large scale. Uh, hundreds of employees, you know, over 30 retail locations. Ultimately, uh, we exited and I left the company and then I started this company. And so that's kind of like the high level. I would say I have a mix of experience in both the brand building, direct consumer, consumer ecosystem, but, but as well on the software side, which I think allows me to have some interesting perspectives. What, what led to the new company? So you said, is it rare circles? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what led me yeah. to the new company? What, yeah. yeah. I would say, you know, it's interesting because Frank and Oak was starting in 2012 and we were not the earliest in, you know, what's called like the the direct consumer movement. Um, there were a few other companies like Warby Parker, um, you know, that were started before us, but we were early enough that, you know, Frank and Oak was started before uh, Allbirds or some of the other companies that people may know today. And I think that that 10 year period from 2010 to 2020-ish, just before COVID uh, happened, was a time where there was a lot of dynamics around social media being a strong driver of growth. You know, obviously paid ads, both on Google and on Facebook, uh, and then Instagram really driving a lot of the growth. And what I realized once, you know, with COVID happening and now being kind of like a you know post-COVID world two years later is that a lot of the things that worked in terms of both marketing and customer relationship management, um, the last 10 years won't work as well going forward. The customer has changed. The level of competition is different. The, the unit economics with you know paid channels are completely different. Obviously, privacy laws uh, have also, or privacy measures, I would say, maybe even more in laws have also been implemented. Um, and so we're basically in a different world. You know, and it's interesting because we're in 2023, um, but effectively it's been like, you know, a little bit over 10 years that I started my previous, you know, brand and I realized that the world is very different now. And so I felt that the tools that were available, it was very put ads and then drive them to your Shopify website and then capture the email and then send as many emails as possible. But if you look at data across the board, conversion rate is low, engagement rate is low. Um, and I felt that it didn't really address where commerce is today and where, how consumers are interacting today. And so I wanted to play, build a platform, um, that helped that. So 
on, on, on those lines, then uh, how do you get customers clicking? You mean for a brand? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I would say like, I think what's really important for, for people to understand is that a product on its own is not differentiated anymore. Almost every single product you can find online is commoditized. And to a certain extent, the ability to even like, you know, launch a great like conversion page, a landing page, or to have like a cool content on Instagram or on TikTok is not hard to do anymore. There's tons of tools for that. You know, it's, it's not hard to make something look good and therefore everything looks good. And so I think that yeah. the, the most important thing when you say to get someone clicking, I don't see it as like optimizing for a button, but I see it as like optimizing for a relationship. And, I, and so I think that what you want to do is one, you need to have a clear purpose for why you exist as a brand or as a company. The second piece is start from the ground up to build a niche community of people that care and want to be engaged in your community. Have them become part of what your brand stands for and uh, have them basically, um, their voice being heard uh, both internally and externally. And then lastly, leverage your purpose and your community to create really compelling content and compelling activations uh, that people will want to engage in. And if you just have a, you know, save 10% if you give me your email, well, it's like, unless they already know they want to buy your product, which in that case might work, it doesn't really, it's not, it doesn't drive any engagement. It doesn't drive any interest. It definitely doesn't drive any brand love. Yeah. I mean, like you say, the, the barrier to entry to pretty much anything in e-commerce these days is so low, right? Anyone can go and produce some video content now. Whereas, yeah, I, I guess like 10 years ago, you probably did need a, like a studio or something. Yeah, and, 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 and what's interesting is that such good. I think the last 10 years, a lot of people that build brands successfully to scale ended up being more mathematical, you know, uh, more about analytics. And not to say that data is not important, but I think creativity now, because differentiation is so important, creativity, in-depth knowledge of your niche, relationship with your niche becomes more important. And, and the reality is those things are harder to measure, but you, you can't measure how good you're doing at them, but you can definitely measure the end result, which is your conversion rate and, and your repeat rate and your customer loyalty rate. Yeah, I think we, we, we moved from kind of actual like proper marketing based on consumer behavior, um, really good like content messaging, all that sort of stuff. Moved into a bit of an analytical, anyone can run Facebook ads. Um, that's that's where we're just going to drive traffic. We're going to optimize that. We're just going to drive sales. And now it's like we've we've moved on from that kind of back full circle to that whole right. The, the people who are going to win now are the ones who actually understand marketing, understand how to put or how to craft the right message. Because, like you say, anyone could put a message in front of people these days. So now you, your competitive advantage comes with what that message is and whether it's actually going to resonate with someone. Yeah, I, I tend to agree on that for sure. Cool. So um, how can brands use communities to drive growth? How do you, like, where do you start? I, I think the first thing to start with is to identify um, what communities have a natural fit with your product, right? Like, because, you know, when people think about communities, they don't think about, I'm going to join this brand's community. They think about what are the things that they care about, 
right? So, you know, that's why, you know, I go back to the point is that your brand has to have something that it stands for. And, and, and when I say that, I think some people think, oh, it needs to be a, you know, purpose-driven brand. And purpose doesn't have also to be changing the world every time, right? Like, I think, I think people, like, purpose could be to make people laugh. Purpose could be, like, to be fun, you know? And so I think, I think purpose can be many different things, but there needs to be some level of clarity on why you exist. And so once you establish that, then I think identifying communities where there are already participants within that thing that you're into uh, and adjacent communities. And I think engaging in those, whether it's on like, in like Facebook groups or like Reddits or like, you know, on social um, and learning about those groups and then understanding their needs, understanding their values, understanding who are the influencers and the, you know, the people that have a stronger voice within that community. That I would say is the first part. After that, once you have conviction, once you have some momentum, is to then start building your own community by effectively borrowing from those communities. And then over time, um, kind of creating your own basically, um, you know, circle of trust. And so I think, I think that that would be the way I would approach it. Now, if you're a company that already exists and you don't really, you sell a product, maybe you, maybe you do well, you sell to Costco or, you know, you have a decent like online business on Amazon, but you don't have a community. I still, I don't think it's too late. I think that it's still possible. And in that case, what you want to do is find a reason, uh, once again, find effectively your why and then find a community that's interested in it. And I do think that, you know, some people ask me, okay, well, this sounds great if you're, you know, in the beauty business, if you're a sports brand, if you're in a health business where there's a clear, right, like values that you could express. Clear. People will say, well, what if I'm like selling wood? Right. What if I'm selling like, you know, construction material? And I say, well, in that case, you can still go find uh, a community. And in that case, I think adjacencies matters more. So I'll give you an example from a pure like strategy perspective. If you're selling like, you know, two by fours, right, to construction companies, to construction workers um, or, or contractors, well, what are those folks interested in? What are you interested in? And you may find that it's, you know, football, or you may find that it's, you know, uh, movies or something like that, and use that to start building a community, or or it might be DIY, right? And so I think there's many angles that you can take, but ultimately, like the the thing that's interesting about community is that it's exactly the same thing as your phone book, and so it's exactly the same thing as like. If you're a B2B company, you used to have this black book with all the business cards of people that the leads that you've collected over time, that moved on to CRMs. And I think community is the new CRM. I think a really good example, actually, on on the, I suppose, boring brands with boring products, uh, Michelin. Yeah. Right? Selling tires. People don't buy tires that frequently. So they went and did a load of books about... <laughs> Uh, restaurants, yeah, and and started giving awards to restaurants to to get people, uh, to get people driving and moving around. So that's something that you know it's completely when you view it from a purely category point of view, it's completely irrelevant. Yeah, because it's it's food, it's restaurants, it's nothing to do with tires. But that's what made sense to to them, their community, and and getting people involved. So yeah, I think it's it's a little bit of looking outside the box and thinking. Uh, you know, 
yeah, like you said, what, what do these people actually care about? I think that's a great example and a more traditional example. I think, you know, an even better, more recent example of that would be something like Red Bull, where obviously it's an energy drink, but then like they've stretched it really far, right? To associate themselves with extreme sports and like F1 now and even like, you know, uh, football. And so I think, I think the, what's interesting there is that they've taken the next step, which is let's not just associate ourselves with it versus like you're just being a sponsor of it but let's actually create our own communities. And so there are so many Red Bull X sports communities on Instagram or, or, or and then let's create content that's aligned uh, for those communities. I think that's another good example of something that propelled Red Bull. And what's interesting is in those cases, they become the owner of that content. You know, Red Bull becomes the owner of that uh, audience also or that community. And I think that's really powerful uh, as you move forward. So effectively, they were able to build a direct consumer relationship, uh, even though they're a d- distributed beverage brand. Well, I mean, I, I was just thinking while you're talking, like, are they, are they a drinks brand anymore, or are they uh, a marketing brand? Are they a sports brand? I don't, I don't really know how a, why I would refer to, refer to uh, Red Bull as anymore. Well, I mean, I think. Look, I mean, the reality is, like, you know, I think the. The definition is what do you, how, how do you generate your revenue is what you are. Um, and I, I, I like to use that definition. From that perspective, they're probably a beverage brand, but I think they do speak to the reality and they embrace that like 10 years before everyone else that every brand needs to be a media company. Every brand yeah. needs to be uh, effectively a, its own social network to a certain extent. And so I think they've embraced both of those aspects sooner and earlier. And that's the reason why they're able to spend you know, obviously grow so fast, but also establish themselves. And I think like, if you think about the difference between like a Coca-Cola and then a Red Bull is that Coca-Cola is still doing more top down, which is like, you know, advertising based, uh, you know, awareness, whereas Red Bull was really built from the ground up. And the, the, the interesting thing is people look at Red Bull today and how big that company is. But I think about it like when they first started and they were basically sponsoring like literally your local skateboard contest. Like they were, they really started from bottoms up and, and going back to that community aspect. And what's incredible about it is that well, Red Bull is still a private company and it was able to do that basically self-finance. And so community engagement is extremely profitable also. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess to, to summarize that piece, um, so you would suggest going, going finding those uh, communities, engaging with those communities initially, and then looking at kind of building your own thing in that space once you've actually identified, you know, what is that right community for you, where you're getting that engagement? Yeah, I mean, definitely, because you want to, first of all, learn about it. You want to build credibility about it. You want to be a contributor community. No one, no one wants to be sold to, right? And so therefore, but that doesn't mean that they don't want to buy things. And so I think, I think, um, finding the balance there. Now, of course, I, I find a lot of founders when they start their business today, they already have a community. And so typically like they'll start a business within a community that they already have. It may, they may not be a leader in that community, but it's something they already understand. And I think that's obviously still a, a good way of doing it, which is where your passion points or where your opportunities you're already seeing within what you know, right? As an entrepreneur and, and go find those opportunities there. Yeah, so uh, I've actually I've actually got a client who their business started as a Facebook group. It started as a community thing. Now they are um, a nationwide business um, where they, they they do everything through uh, their e-commerce website now. 
Um, kind of brings me on to my question. Next question, though. So they start a community, and now we're actually having those conversations where we're saying, "How do we bring that back?" It's kind of lost. We, yeah, you know, they've kind of lost their way with that. How do we bring them back? So communities a massive focus. So yeah, what I wanted to ask was obviously a load of a lot of brands. You know, they might start with that organic growth or that community, but so many just go really heavily reliant on paid ads. They really start to go down that route and then I guess almost like give up on that organic route because it's it is it requires more work, it's a bit harder, whereas you can get immediate results with the paid side. Yeah. So how do you how do you keep that up? Um, I suppose as part of that, like how do you show ROI on a community based program when so many brands these yeah. days are, are super ROI focused? So I mean the reality is everyone makes that mistake. Uh, I, I did that mistake at Frank and Oak and it was the biggest mistake I've ever made. So I basically fucked it up there. Uh, you know, I, I always want to be honest with myself. The, every amazing brand starts like that, where like they have such a strong community beginning, all these passionate fans, everyone wants to be engaged. In fact, you know, when that point where you're starting a business and your customers want to work for you for free, like that, that level of passion is what you need. And then eventually like I, I see basically like Facebook ads in the last 10 years as like steroids. Either you work out hard and then maybe you win or you're like, you know what? I can just take this like the steroid and then I go. But the problem is that once it stops working, all of a sudden you can't scale your businesses more. If the cost increases, all of a sudden you're not profitable anymore. And the reality is that it always boggles my mind how like like small brands that like we're talking about brand that's only five million dollars in sales a year is willing to spend like two hundred thousand dollars a month on like on like Instagram ads, but but not willing to invest even like a thousand or two thousand dollars. And I think that the in other things, and I think the reason for that that is probably one of the greatest invention in the history of the of the world is the fact is both Facebook and Google's ad engine is the feedback data they give you gives you the false sense of impression that you're in control. And because they show you a clear, clear ROI, you feel as though that is a safer investment than other areas. Now, that, that investment at that moment in time is safer. And so I'm not saying it's a bad investment, but as you start scaling, you lose all your muscles for everything else and you get sucked into this where basically at the end you realize 80% of my sales comes from Facebook and therefore I, I'm stuck. And so yeah, I would say what you should do is one, actually be disciplined and say only X percentage of my sales can come from paid ads. Let's say it's 15%. That forces you- 15. 15, okay? Okay. That forces you- so you're not saying, like, like if some people, some purists out there are saying you shouldn't do ads at all anymore. I think that's not realistic. And it's also not realistic in a way that like you're not using the tools that are available to you to target your customers. And there's no, there's no way out there where you can target people as, as efficiently yet as on, you know, Facebook or Instagram or, or even some of the other platforms. So I think limiting yourself to a percentage of your growth and then finding innovation, creativity in the other areas. Now, one, the thing that we're looking to solve at Rare Circles is to actually give you more actionable data and more clear ROI on community-oriented initiatives. And I think that's something that was always missing, which is the challenge I think people are having in investing more in community-oriented initiatives is 
how do I know how much to invest and how do I measure the payback? Especially when sometimes the payback is not an immediate payback. It may be like a six to 12 months payback and you just don't know. And so how do we kind of like fill that data gap is, is some of the things that we're looking to solve at Risk Circles. But I would say that is the problem. The problem is that you don't get the initial feedback and you don't have the data to prove that it's working. If it was, people would invest a lot more time and efforts into it. And they realize also it's a lot more profitable. Yeah. I suppose just kind of like general brand building, isn't it? It's, it's really difficult. It, everyone knows it's important, but it's really difficult to actually show the impact that brand building is having. Right, but you know that you've got to work on it because it, it is having an impact. I think it's having an impact. And I would say the second thing that I see as a challenge is how do you tie that impact to a single purchase? You can do that with a Facebook ad, but you can't do it. And so I think that it's more challenging, but I think there's there's new tools coming on the market that enables you to do that. And I think you will have to do that because cost of acquisition level competition will only increase going forward. Yeah. So how, like, do, do you have some advice on that? Like actually measuring success with these programs? Well, I, I suppose yeah. in early days, it's probably a little bit easier, but once you, like a bigger brand who wants to do this, yeah, let's scale. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that like what you have to do is like like the challenging part is that most e-commerce data only looks at that point of transaction. And what I mean by that is that you don't have a holistic view of your customer journey. You see, okay, th- there's higher open rate on this email. There is higher conversion on this checkout flow, but that's all aggregated data. You don't have a view on the individual. So I would say like to start actually looking at individual segments of customers, understanding each customer better. Uh, and then measuring basically within this cohort of customers, what is the conversion rate of that cohort? What is the activation rate? What is the engagement rate post-purchase? I think those are all things that can help you. Um, but one of the biggest challenge right now is the fact that most of your consumer data is trapped within Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and you don't you basically don't have access to that data. And the only data you have access is transactional data. Yeah, I think... Yeah, the big the big problem I see for a lot of brands is just like where is the data? How do they actually put it all together? Um, it's something that's usable and and analyzable, uh, so that they can actually say, well, you know, we we're confident this is having a positive impact. So let's let's double down on it. Exactly, exactly. Without that, it's 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 going to be impossible uh, to to really persuade someone, especially. You know, especially those brands who are at that kind of eighty percent revenue through paid stage. Exactly, because I've seen some brands like cut off, cut off like the ads because either they don't have the cash flow or they want to really make a strategic shift, and all of a sudden they just lose half of their sales. And like, and those sales might have been profitable. And so, how do you do that? Is very tricky. I I would say you know what we're gonna see. Well, like just like in all these re- revolutions, I think a lot of brands are gonna really struggle with this. And unfortunately, we're probably gonna see some brands have to shut down. Uh, because it can't really do this transition. I think that the new brands that are being created, because they're built today within this new context and this new paradigm shift, I think they will have a lot of success. Yeah, I think you're right. Look, the ones who are uh, p- possibly still powering their business with paid, but have that have that community core still, and you could tell it's actually there. You know, I've seen I have seen a number of brands, especially ones that popped up during COVID, who are. They come across as like founder-led, and and as if that's you know a key part of their brand. But then once you get past that, um, 
either either the advert or, or a bit of copy on that on the homepage, it doesn't exist in the experience. Yeah. So once you once you're actually in as a customer, it's like that whole brand piece goes out the door, um, and there is actually no community behind it. Exactly, because I think a lot there's a lot of things that are like formulaic, right? It's like, oh, if an email is signed by the founder, the conversion is better. But the problem now, everyone does that. And you don't really know if it's, yeah. like, it's the real founder or you're really engaged. And do I have a real relationship with that person? And so I think, I think like showing depth, like I, I think the customer sees to, through though. Like that's, I think that's the challenge is that because they get bombarded by media, they can see a brand that has a tr- like a real founder that has values aligned with you. Or if it's just a front to it, I think that like you may be able to cheat the system for a bit, but typically like the customer finds out. And you, you need to pop up all over the place, don't you? It's not like it's not just that email. Exactly, there's loads of brand. You know, it's, it's so easy. Again, it's but that barrier to entry to doing that email is so low. Um, but doing maybe some social media content with the founder, yes, the barrier to entry is still low, but it's it's it feels like a lot more work and effort that has to go into that, um, and that person's got to be willing to commit to it, and not many people are. Yeah, and so I think there make sure that you the the transparency. Like one thing that is that that we found through our research is that you know customers that feel like they're being heard like care a lot more about your brand if they feel as though they're being considered as a person. I think the first thing is for the founder or the the people involved at the business level to be vulnerable and to be transparent, to be open to their feedback. And I think by doing that, it's extremely powerful. Once again, going back to creating deeper relationships with your customers. Yeah, so just I guess in terms of community that a community builder it doesn't necessarily have to be going out to facebook reddit no discord and actually engaging with communities it can just be that showing a genuine interest in your customers and making them believe that you know they are engaging with with kind of people at the brand and not just it's not just a brand that's sending out some plain text emails saying hi it's will from from this brand Exactly. And I think, I think social media like has made people fall in love with big numbers. Like, you know, if you look at, if you look at a brand and they're like, they don't have like, I don't know, at least like 50,000 followers, you're like, oh, it's not a big brand. Right. And, and like, there's this sort of like number thing that's crept in, but what is a community? If you look at a community in a traditional sense of it, it can be like 10 people. It can be 20 people. It can be the, the 20 customers that always go to the same corner store and have a relationship with the, with the shopkeeper. And so, I think that like we're, we are going to an age where quality matters more. And so you may have 100,000 followers on Instagram, but I actually realized that you only have like 500 true fans. Yeah. Well, something I look at a lot will be, um, yeah, like how many followers does the brand have? If it's got a few hundred thousand, it's great. But then I'll look at some images or something that they've posted. And if those posts get like 100 or something likes, and it's like, well, if you've got a hundred thousand fans, why don't they like your content? Well, exactly. I mean, I think I think you might have like growth hacked them. You know, you might have gotten some ways, or yeah. or or they're just not engaged because you were able to capture their attention, but you're not able to maintain their attention. So I think there's a right way for that. But but I think beyond the marketing aspect of that, like my my point is just, I think people glorify the big numbers, which makes it everyone want the big numbers, but then you quickly realize that quality and having real relationship with fewer people actually drives better business results yeah but it's, it's the problem with like agencies as well that are doing marketing 
because everything you read on on like LinkedIn and in a blog post is, you know, we took this brand from twenty grand a month to three hundred thousand, and we increased their conversion rate by four hundred percent. And again, all these massive numbers that makes other other brands think, oh well, I, ad, ads must be the way forwards. They still are the way forwards because, you know, these guys had so much success, and and it, yeah, it just leads people down that route. I guess it's it, you know, it makes them feel there's that instant that instantly they're going to have a big business because they can work with an agency. They could just build a big business through Facebook and they're going to be great. And they don't understand that actually they'll make a lot, they'll make a lot of revenue through Facebook, but they're not going to make any profit. Yeah. And I, like, I, I do, I definitely think that was the case, but I do think there's more awareness of that now. Um, and I, and I feel like people are seeing that and they're seeing sort of like from like both horror stories and just, you know, understanding um what a market is also to be honest like it's a lot harder than it was before and so like when you're saying that you can scale like 400 percent and still make money some brands can do it but i would say it's not the average brand now it's not the majority of brands that can do it and a lot of people are having a really hard time scaling their budgets profitably yeah well uh, profitably is the key thing yeah i think there are a lot of brands a lot of agencies who can scale brands revenue wise yeah. i mean the other thing also that happened was that you know the last 10 years there were also a lot of like you know the market was different. There was a lot of venture capital money in the branded space. You know, there was a lot of like easy access to like loans and, and different kind of money. And and I would say that is also not as readily available anymore. It's more challenging or the cost of capital has increased. And so, you know, if you don't have that much cash, plowing all that money into Facebook while while you're still losing money on the first order, it doesn't seem as attractive as it used to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although, I mean, yeah, I suppose it's, it's probably a conversation for another day. But the whole the whole debate about should you be profitable on a first purchase or not, um, I think there's there's different schools of thought. Isn't there? Well, I mean, I think the different businesses are different. I, th- I think that like you know, dip- like average order values are different. You know, I think that like you know, some some businesses are like one purchase businesses. Some purchases are like recurring purchases. I, I think it's hard to make that debate. But I think that it's not hard to make a debate to say that your business should be profitable overall, you know. So, so I think I think that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I I just wanted to ask actually, what's do you have a particular, just personally, do you have a favorite kind of community channel or um, tactic or something? Like, is there something you just love it when a brand does this? I mean, I, I'm always a big fan of like sports brands. Um, you know, uh, one one the brand I really love is called Norda. It's in the trail running space. It's not a channel, but I love brands that organize activities for you to do. And and like going once again, I guess going back to the rebel idea. So maybe it's not like an online discussion forum, but the fact that like there's all these runs that are being organized, you can participate, uh, and you can meet people in real life. Like that, that's actually one thing I should mention is I I do see a desire maybe it's because it's post-covid for brands to activate a lot more in real life than they used to be i think it used to be this feeling everything has to be digital and now people are realizing this sort of like just like distribution is omni-channel marketing should also be omni-channel so that that's another thought i want to bring up but like like sports brand i would say when you ask me what communities i love sports brands um that activate where you can do like group workouts where you can meet people for runs where you can like share like insights about what to eat and like what exercise to do i i, I really enjoy those and it, it it actually adds to my life um and so i find those uh extremely powerful yeah well i think on the on the activation side 
I guess it's one of those things like, yeah, you know, we went through lockdown, COVID and all that, and everyone moved online. I transitioned all their processes and everything online, learned how to do, I guess, some sort of activation online. And then a lot of brands have gone, well, what's the point in doing the physical stuff when we can do it online? It's cheaper, it's easier, it's quicker. But, and it, so it's, again, it's, it's one of these things where people have maybe got a little bit lazy. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but it also means there's a big opportunity for those brands who do go and do that stuff. Exactly. Just before we finish up then, uh, if you could pick the brains of anyone in the e-commerce space, who's it, who would it be? I mean, like, I would love to speak to, uh, Ben Francis at Gymshark. Um, and partly it was just like how fast the brand was able to scale in its early days. I mean, he, he, he shares a lot of videos on, uh, on YouTube. So you can, you, you know, anyone can go and watch those, but just the speed at which the community was built, the speed at which he was able to scale with no external founding is incredible. It's something I've never seen before. And I, I love to better understand how he was able yeah, to it do did, that. It felt like it just came out of nowhere, really. Suddenly everyone was wearing Gymshark. Yeah. And like the, like the, 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 stri- the speed and strength of the community, but also the sales volume that came with it is just outstanding. And so we love, Love to pick his brain on how he was able to do that. Cool. So, yeah, uh, just finally, before we finish that, uh, what's just one final piece of advice you'd give to brands? I would say to not be afraid to experiment. Um, there's often the pressure of like, right now I see a lot of brands trying to maintain their sales from like the COVID years and you're scared to take a step back. But often to find the next like 20, 30, 40% of growth, you may have to take a 5%, 10% step back. And so... Not, not be afraid to experiment, not, not say that what we've done so far is what we should do in the future. I think that's what's important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for that. That's uh, really great. Uh, if anyone wants to reach out and find out more, what's the best way of doing that? Yeah, I'd say the best way you can find me on Twitter at uh, Mr. Ethan Song, or you can also follow Rare Circles to see what we're working on, how we can help your business. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Ethan. All right. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. As Ethan mentioned, a great place to start with community is just to go out there, find relevant communities, engage with them. Don't spam, sell or market your business. Just engage, provide value and answer questions. Just generally be helpful. Not only will this actually drive a bit of business your way, but you'll also get a a good understanding of what the communities out there really want. And that'll help you fashion your own when you're ready for it. There's some huge benefits to community marketing, not least word of mouth and customer feedback. And with the cost of ads ever increasing, maybe now's the time to give it a try. If you'd like to hear more from Ethan, you can find him on LinkedIn. Any other podcasts, questions, feedback, or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or DM me on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Sophie Bond, who is also going to be joining me to talk about community, but this time in relation to how they've used community to grow nice, the, uh, the wine brand. But until then, keep those customers clicking.